Well, it's not over yet, or is it? That is the alternating message when it comes to inflation. We're over the worst. No, we're not. It's going to be a soft landing. Could it pick up again? Well, one Fed official is warning that reacceleration is possible. He's talking about strong demand in the US, of course, causing that inflation. In Europe, the headline rate could suffer from higher energy costs again. If gas prices can move so much from the prospect of a strike at the other end of the world, it just shows how volatile things are right now. And China still fixing rates to keep their currency in check whilst issuing a sort of decree that growth is going to come from tech. But is that going to pay off the massive local authority and real estate debts? It's Wednesday, the 23rd of August, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, for change today, yields seem to be falling a bit. Ten-year Treasury yields have lost one basis point on yesterday, but that is after reaching a 16-year high, rising to 4.36%. The yields on German bunds are down six basis points this morning. Ten-year gilts have lost eight, and most of Europe is somewhere between five and seven basis points lower for ten years. Australian ten-year yields didn't move much yesterday, just... uh, to that one basis point to 4.27% up, that is, and uh, down a few basis points on futures overnight. The US dollar has climbed a bit further today. It's up 0.3% on the DXY. But for change, the Aussie dollar is up on that rising US dollar. It's up almost 0.2%, a little over 64.2 US cents now. The US dollar is down against the Japanese yen for a change. It's lost about 0.2%. The losses against the dollar have been in the euro. That's down about 0.4%. The pound has lost about 0.2%. And stocks are lower. Half percent fall in the Dow, quarter percent fall in the S&P 500. The Nasdaq only just managing to stay in the green, whereas shares have been stronger in Europe. The Eurostox 50 up 0.8% at close. The FTSE 100 up 0.2%. And we've seen falls in oil today. WTI and Brent both down about half percent. Dutch natural gas futures are up over 5%. That's on top of the big rise that we saw yesterday. So a spike in prices that the chief executive of Woodside Energy is calling irrational in an article in the FT today. But as she's saying, it's a clear sign of the fragility of the energy market. Well, maybe not just the energy market. Everything everything seems a, a little bit fragile right now, doesn't it? Except Rodrigo of uh, Catrill, of course, because he's a hardy soul. Uh, he joins me from uh, NAB in Sydney this morning. So, I mean, maybe this fragility in gas prices in Europe is just a reminder that we are, you know, approaching the northern winter. We know the Russian gas pipeline now accounts for only about 8% of the EU's imports compared to 45% before the invasion of, of Ukraine. But even that 8% is in question because we've got a transit agreement through Ukraine for Russian gas that expires in a few months. There's every chance that's not going to be renewed. So rising gas prices could be a thing, couldn't they? Which could add to inflation again. So, uh, you know, it's not just this strike in Europe that's driving prices up. Uh, there could be other factors at play as well. Uh, yeah, morning, Phil. So it's just adding to the volatility in terms of those gas prices. Uh, we also had news that the giant troll field in, in Norway, um, which usually goes through um, a scheduled work, um, is, is now expected to actually extend that scheduled work. Uh, so it's, it's putting more pressure on the near-term supply. So uh, the big question is, of course, that there's the strikes here in Australia, and then we have on Wednesday, um, uh, we'll find out whether or not uh, there will be a strike, uh, which is scheduled to, to happen as soon as September the 2nd. So, so the market is a little bit of nervous at the moment. But I think the question is, is this just a near-term volatility and that it gets resolved pretty quickly, um, you know, with the strikes not occurring and, and, and the Norway um, uh, schedule work? 
or it just poses like a little bit of a flavor of what is yet to come as, as we head into winter um, in terms of that rise in, 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 in demand and, and, and struggling uh, in terms of the supply side. So, um, there, of course, we've remembered what happened the last time or the last winter. Um, but this time it's, it's slightly different in the sense that Europe is a little bit more prepared. Um, also, the inventories are a lot higher. Um, but the, the weather is still the swing factor. If you have a very extremely cold weather or winter, then that, that you know, inventory will, will get run down very quickly and, and then the supply store will kick in again. So it is, a, it is an uncertainty for Europe. Uh, but at this stage, these drivers that are pushing prices higher are, are really challenging the near-term outlook, not necessarily the, the winter outlook. Right. And inflation in the United States, nothing to do with energy prices as such, but reacceleration is possible. That was the point made by Thomas Barkin from the Richmond Fed overnight, uh, because he's saying we've had strong retail sales, consumer confidence is rising, people are just too optimistic, damn it. So he said the reacceleration scenario has come onto the table in a way that really wasn't there through your four months ago. He said that in a, a Reuters interview overnight. So it's not over yet, it seems. No, it, it isn't. Uh, but he's, he's also reiterated that, that idea that there's actually a better prospect for, for the soft landing, uh, given you know that we have seen uh, an ease in inflationary pressures and, and the, the, the economy has shown that resilience. So um, he's still kind of open-minded about that. Um, he also actually talked about this idea of pushback in, in terms of um, many economists discussing and, and, and suggesting that maybe the Fed should be looking at rising or raising the, the inflation target, mm. uh, given concerns of what inflation is going to do over the next five to 10 years. But, uh, um, but for now, he, he's kind of more open minded and, and still kind of, you know, suggesting that if inflation does come down, that soft landing scenario, uh, you know, can play out for yeah. the US. I mean, that's what we we're talking about, wasn't it, on Monday uh, with Tapas, whether actually the neutral rate is is higher than we've been thinking. So we'll be going back, back to, we, you know, we won't be going back to where we started from, uh, in other words. So we'll see how that, that plays out. But to, to support this idea that, you know, the, there's resilience there, the Richmond Fed Services Index that rose a little for August when it was expected to fall. So we've got that resilience in the service sector, if those numbers are to be believed. But despite that and those words from Barkin, yields are heading down today. Yes. Um, but do you know what? Like the services story is, is well, if anything, the, this, this, what's the story of the US? They said we have resilience in the services sector. And in fact, we're going to get the PMIs today. And, and that's one of the big questions, mm. you know. Are we still going to see that strength in the services side relative to that weakness that we're seeing in manufacturing? Um, but more importantly, I think it's, it's kind of the data that is coming through and, and what we've learned today from a very quiet day in the equity market. Uh, we had results coming from two retailers in the US and, and both of them were disappointing because uh, of weaker sales, for instance, in sport, um, Dick's Sporting Goods, uh, as well as a rise of excess inventories. And similarly, Macy's reported negative sales growth and rising delinquency, which is actually a theme as well that we've seen in supermarkets here in Australia as well. So um, it's again that story that we are starting now to see some evidence that, that maybe the consumer is not as uh, resilient as it's shown in, in recent times. So I think that that will be the thing to watch um, and, and will challenge that narrative around the services side of the economy as well. Right. Now, we have seen a, a sign of, of softening in home sales, although it comes from existing home sales down 2.2% on the month in July. That's after a 3.3% fall in July. But of course, this is existing home sales. We've been talking about this for a while now. Uh, that market is constrained because people just don't want to move because they don't want to have to arrange a new mortgage. So it's the new 
home sales story that is the useful indicator right now and we get that uh, later on today so we'll see how that is going that obviously depends on how wealthy people feel and the cost of the builds as well uh, but look china is going to fight the u.s for tech power that is the story in the South China Morning Post today, reporting how the Chinese Premier is going to strengthen, optimise and expand the digital economy to empower high-quality development. That's what they're saying, because supposedly the internet-based economy accounts for almost 92% of the growth in China at the moment. So that is the strategy. Uh, but how is the question, obviously. Meanwhile, we're seeing uh, in the shorter term the PBOC has fixed the US dollar CNY rate at just over 7.2 yesterday. That surprised many people. So why was that significant? And, uh, you know, how is this price fixing working out for them, this this exchange rate fixing? Um, well, you know, our sense here is that the, the PBOC is really trying to engineer a slowdown of the rate of depreciation uh, in, in the CNY. Um, you know, there are fundamental reasons why the currency is being pushed lower. Um, but certainly in terms of the, the fixing and, and also the funding uh, squeeze that they, they're introducing into the market is trying to, to arrest the speed of the decline. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it remains to be seen how successful it will be, uh, particularly given uh, that the economic data continues to print uh, on the softer side. And as you mentioned, there's been a lot of rhetoric coming from uh, Beijing, but uh, a lack of, you know, real sort of uh, meaty fiscal stimulus uh, is, is what is missing and, and is yet to be seen. Yeah, for curious reasons. So maybe they're waiting, uh, you know, they're trying to slow down uh, the demise in the in the uh, CNY because they're, they're expecting that this new digital strategy is going to kick in and save them. I don't know. But what's the expectation for the Australian dollar then? So we were looking at what, getting close to 70 by the end of the year. Uh, th that's not going to happen, is it? Well, yeah. So uh, in terms of our outlook for the Aussie, we, were, we, we had held it this view that the Aussie had the potential to head towards 70 cents. And really the, the two key assumptions of that was that we were going to start to see a bit of a weakness in activity in the US uh, alongside a, a decline in, in price pressures. Uh, we have seen a decline in price pressures. And, and in fact, we remain quite comfortable with this idea that uh, inflation in the US will continue to decline. Uh, but the resilience of, of the, the US economy has been uh, surprising. And, and also, on a relative basis, it's worth pointing out that not only the economy has performed well in the US, but we've seen um, you know, a, a greater degree of weakness, of course, coming from China as well as Europe. So, so that relativity has also been important for the strength of the US dollar. Um, so that essentially pushes out these expectations for for the Aussie to to head higher. And as you mentioned, China has been the the big the big um, the big disappointment, if you like. Um, we we saw this reopening. Um, and alongside that reopening, uh, when we started seeing evidence of, of weakness, um, our assumption was that um, uh, policymakers in China would step in uh, and, and provide support to, to make sure that the economic momentum uh, didn't slow down. Uh, uh, what we're seeing uh, at the moment is that it's, it's failed to, to happen. Um, why is that the case? Well. We think there's been a combination of factors. One, uh, the magnitude of the, the scale, if you like, of the challenge uh, that China has, particularly coming from uh, the property sector, is quite significant. And, and um, the implications that it has not only for the consumer, 
uh, and the private investor is probably being the big surprise. You know, do you see a decline in house prices in a highly indebted uh, economy, which is very much linked to the property sector? Then it creates a massive overhang because, um, you know, the mm. consumer loses confidence. The private sector doesn't want to invest. Um, and then, of course, yeah. you see in China. The whole wealth effect. Yeah. The, the whole wealth effect, but also you have that, um, you know, paradox of thrift, you know, the, the consumer starts saving instead of spending and that in itself slows down the economy. Uh, whilst at the same time, you have this liquidity trap, which is super interesting because until now, China has done a lot and it's almost impossible impossible to keep up with all the new announcements and incentives they introduce, but they're very much been on the demand side, you know, cutting lending rates, uh, business taxes, um, um, EV uh, subsidies, uh, intervene in the forex market and, and even, you know, uh, make it easier for, for trading in, in the equity market and so on. Uh, but all of these are nice sort of demand side um, incentives. Uh, but when you have the consumer that doesn't want to spend and the private sector that remains very shy in terms of investment, you need the fiscal side to step in and provide that level of, um, you know, encouragement, if you like. And, and that's where China at this moment it's become yeah. very reluctant to introduce what in the past has been quite a common occurrence in terms of providing that big fiscal stimulus. Um, our sense here is that China really wants to deleverage the property sector. Um, uh, there's a danger here that if you do it very quickly, you, you, you create a collapse in the economy. We've got to remember the property sector is around 30% of GDP in China, so it's a big, big component. Um, but that transition away from property into, as you mentioned, the new economy, is, is sort of the, the big plan and, and the plan that is playing out quite well if you think about the outlook for China over the next, you know, three to five years. You know, they are dominating in the in electric vehicles mm. and batteries and solar panels. So that transition to new energy, China will be a dominant leader. Um, but in the near term, these this headwinds coming from the property sector is posing a big challenge for, for growth in the near term. And, and uh, there's a danger here, of course, that you know, is exacerbated by uh, this, this, the consumer that has become super, super, super shy. So China needs to support its economy, needs to provide a level of confidence for um, a, an increase in expenditure on the domestic side. Uh, but it remains to be seen where they will deliver a meaningful one. And, and to us, that is the challenge. So it means that part of the solution is having a weak currency and uh, with a weak currency that, that channels through to the Aussie dollar in the sense of not being able to recover as quickly as we had hoped. Um, so essentially now right. we still see the Aussie dollar recovering over the course of next year, um, but that recovery is certainly, certainly slower uh, given the challenges that China is facing at the moment. Well, I think the old forecast was by December this year would be uh, around 72 Australian uh, Australian dollars to the US dollar, uh, 0.72, and it's uh, going to be more like 0.66 is the revised forecast, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And with, with downside risk near term, given right. the volatility and uncertainty yeah. that we've seen around the market. Um, right. Uh, but certainly in terms of sort of the downside, probably worth highlighting that we think the, the potential of testing levels below 62 um, is probably a big, big ask. Um, uh, we wouldn't be surprised, of course, if that was to happen, but that probably requires a more severe downturn in terms of the outlook for China's uh, near-term growth outlook. Right. Um, but for now, we see the Aussie basically in a 62 to 66 range uh, over the course of uh, coming quarters. Now, uh, we've had a bit of a data drought lately, haven't we? But that ends today. So global PMIs, which you've already mentioned, it's going to be interesting to see how services are doing uh, and manufacturing as well. We get them for Germany, the Eurozone, the UK and the US. Also European consumer confidence. We get retail sales for New Zealand and Canada. 
so we'll see how all of that heads. What, just a final question, if you can answer this quite quickly. I'm curious about New Zealand uh, in that, I mean, we'll see what those retail sales numbers do today. But I'm curious that here we have a, a country that's already got, uh, well, it's got bond yields rising uh, two years up uh, eight basis points yesterday to almost 5.7% compared to 3.92% for Aussie three years. They've got an interest rate of 4.1%. The RBNs are, you know, up to uh, 5.5%. And yet, you know, there's clearly this expectation that they are, despite the fact, you know, that the, the economy is slowing and um, that, you know, this expectation they're going to take more nasty medicine over there uh, when the economy is struggling. That all seems a bit curious. Well, to some extent, uh, but it's so a couple of points to make. One, uh, we've got to remember that central banks and inflation targeting banks or most of them are. And, and in this instance, you know, it's not about the slowdown of the economy that matters. It's whether inflation is coming down or not. Um, so you can have central banks hiking, even though economies are heading into a recession, for instance. Um, you know, Germany, for that matter, is, is one example, um, with the ACB still expected to hike. Um, so, uh, but the other one is also around credibility. Maybe the market is, is, is you know, thinks that the governor is, is, is more aggressive inflation targeted than, than other central banks. Um, and the move up in yields in general in, in New Zealand also has a bit of a supply side story in terms of the market trying to assess the impact of what, what new issuance is going to do into the market. So there are a combination of factors there, but certainly it is, it is, as you point out, uh, it's interesting to see that the market is more aggressive in terms of expectations for hikes in New Zealand, um, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, here in Australia, for instance, arguably uh, real rates are negative and, and we, we have a, a, an economy that's performing better and an inflation outlook that looks a bit more challenging. Right. Well, look, we get NVIDIA shares after close tomorrow, so we'll see how they do. Uh, are they the big, you know, the big hope? Is artificial intelligence going to be just like in China? Is tech going to save us? Uh, uh, and is, does it all rest on those NVIDIA shares after close tomorrow? Uh, locally, of course, later on this week, let's not forget, you know, some of those old-fashioned industries, West Farmers, Fortescue Metals, they're some of the beginning results uh, locally as well. We'll leave it there for now. Good to talk. Uh, we'll catch you again very soon. Thanks, Rodrigo. Cheers. And that is Wednesday morning's morning call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby. Back again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening.